But on Thursday, you're going to perform in your homes what you've practiced in here. That's what the sign says above the door. We are putting Jesus' words into practice, which is another way to say, Darren just gave me the thumbs up, we are recording. (laughs) We're going to put these words into practice, which is another way to say we're going to weave them into the fabric of our lives, affecting every decision. He says, he who puts these words into practice will be like a wise man who built his house upon a rock. When you think of rock, even some investment companies have chosen that as their logo. Why? Because rocks tend to symbolize a long-term commitment. If it's a big rock, you don't go move it every day because it takes a lot of effort to move it. I can tell you from the brief years that I spend in investment banking, there's nothing more destructive to somebody's portfolio than moving it around. Nothing. You incur penalties. You incur fees. You incur loss. But a rock is something that's committed. Is it strange then that very often the immovable rock is what's used to typify Jesus? Corinthians 10 says Jesus was the rock that followed Israel around in the desert and spit out water for him. But called him a rock. Because he's immovable in his righteousness. He does not waver. He is not fickle. A man who builds his house on a rock is like one who is trying to make it permanent. That's the point. Putting words into practice, Jesus' words, weaving them into our lifestyle in a long-term commitment, focused on the success of others, is permanently establishing your house before God. There are a lot of things that can look that way. Phrased the right way. This team is a sure winner. This horse is a sure winner. I'm telling you, he's won every time. He is a sure winner. A gamble can look like an investment. But that doesn't make it so. So often, we're invested in a season of looking like things are right. The question is, does it define your life? Jesus, I put your words into practice this week and it didn't turn out. (laughs) As one brother told me, Eric, I don't know what to say. I started tithing for the first time and, and nothing's gone right since. Well, how long have you been tithing? It's my second week. <laughs> how long have you been a Christian? All my life. So how long are you so bad, seed? But you expect God to erase it immediately. That's right. Why is that? And why did you tithe? Well, so things would go right. I thought you tithed because it was the right thing to do, regardless of how things went. think he meant when he said, you must carry your cross daily. (laughs) That's amazing, isn't it? This wise building procedure. A wise man produced something. A wise builder produced something. No matter what happened, whether storms came, winds blew, whatever it was, because the house had a permanent foundation, because it was built upon principles that were taught by Yeshua, There was a product at the end of his life. No matter what happened, what was built in him was permanent. It would stand the fire. It would stand the water. It would stand the wind. What had been built in him would never wash away. The right kind of investment, if you do what is right, should produce an increase. This is why Jesus used the parable of the talents as an example. 
However, the foolish builder, who did many of the right things he went out to build, that's admirable. But he never built correctly. He never founded it upon the actual words of Jesus. He just did what seemed right to him. At the end of his life, because of one storm, he had nothing to show for it. One is an investment in righteousness. The other is a gamble upon your own abilities. I want you to understand both houses are going to have winds. Both houses are going to have storms. Just like gambling has adverse odds and investment has risk, both houses face storms. It just so happens that one, you can calculate. And I have calculated that Jesus' words are trustworthy. The other is based upon random chance, chaos. And all you need to do is look around you. The people that you know that are not putting his words into practice, do they ever have enough? How happy are the celebrities that people worship? Do they ever have enough? All the plastic surgeries, all the changing of spouses, all the illicit affairs with whoever they happen to be in a movie with, is it enough? Never. It's built upon sand. It's never enough. So they may look like they have a house. In fact, they may have a 40,000 square foot house. It might be on MTV Cribs. Or back in the day, Robin Leach's show. But in the end, it doesn't stand. In fact, they don't even live in them and pass them on to their children, do they? They build giant things on sand only to sell it to somebody else who is investing in sand. It's a gamble. Sometimes they do ridiculous things like insure their legs. Right? They've got a good looking set of legs. They insure them. I don't know what idiot would write that policy. You ever been to a nursing home? Because we're all headed that direction. Every one of us. What are you investing in? When you look at the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount, you can see the goal of the Sermon on the Mount. It was not to hear Jesus' words. In fact, we call them the Beatitudes because we are supposed to be those attitudes. It was not about agreeing that they were right and sitting next to those who do. It was not about forming charters that everybody agreed that Jesus was right. It was about putting His teaching into daily practice in your life with a long-term commitment that you had calculated was worth it. And part of the calculation is you know storms are coming, you know wind is coming, and you don't care. It shows your trust in the builder. It shows your trust in the architect. <coughs> Let's back up from there. Go to the tree and its fruit. That's Matthew 7, 15, verse 21. I'm sorry, 7, 15 through 21. One of the key distinctions between gambling and investment is time. And I don't mean Time Magazine. Nobody goes into a gambling boat and comes out seven years later and says, hey, I've got a return. They go in and come out seven hours later. They go in and come out seven minutes later. They go in and come out seven hands later. But they don't come out seven years later. That's because it's all based on instant greed, instant satisfaction. Do for me now. I want, I want, I want, and I will not be denied. Most of the time people can go into those places and have a paycheck, and the vast majority leave without them. Matthew and I went to meet somebody somewhere in West Louisiana off the Interstate 10. And tucked back in the woods where there was really nothing was a giant horse track. 
except nobody was riding horses. Where is everyone? At horse tracks, people ride horses, and they bet on the outcomes. Where is everybody? I actually like to watch the horses run. Big, majestic, beautiful animals. Then I found them. I never met so many people with silver and blue hair, a drink in one hand, a cigarette in the other, punching a machine like a mindless idiot, giving away their inheritance and their children's inheritance. It's like zombies. Instant return. Instant return. Put $700 into a machine and rejoice that 70 came out in one hand. Wow. There are ministries that appeal to your finances in the same way. You get to this ministry and you get back seven gold. Come on, roll the dice, gamble with me. I think it's devilish. I've not hesitated in telling you that regardless of the consequence. This pastor does not shy away from pointing out false doctrine when I see it. Doesn't make me right. But at least you can't impugn my motives. The kingdom is an investment. It is a lifetime investment. Look at this. Let's start reading in 7.15. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing. <laughs> Might need to read their prospectus. But inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. By their fruit you will recognize them. Matthew is growing one little fig tree. And I'll be honest, to a third party observer, the fig tree is not all that impressive. <laughs> it's not as if it towers over his house and provides shade for all of his children. But one of the things that I love about Matthew is he's willing to invest in something that looks insignificant because the king told him to do it. It may look like a long shot, but he has calculated that the king doesn't lie. Matt's learning from this little fig tree. How long do you think it would be before Matt gets to eat a good fig? Or make some kind of fig preserve? Or send me a basket of figs? <laughs> How will he know whether that tree is going to produce good fruit or not? Time. Time will tell. So often we meet each other, and I meet Smiley, and she meets me, and we have judged each other immediately. Immediately we sized each other up. Women, sometimes you are the worst. Who is she to think she can wear that skirt? Well, apparently somebody that likes to provoke envy in you. <laughs> Guys do the same thing. We walk up and say, hi, I'm Eric. Your name? Oh, I'm Bob. What do you do for a living? What are we doing? Do you really care what they do for a living? Well, I'm just making conversation. Yeah, and we make conversation a certain way. Why? Because we size each other up. Pastors... Or the singular worst. Hey, where's your church? What they're asking is, how big is your building? Do I know it? Oh, yeah, we're, we're life-changing ministries. We're out on Eldridge. Oh, I think I've seen that. I bet you haven't. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Hey, man, about how many of y'all run? Well, it depends on the Sunday. But on a really good one, about 70. Lately, 30. <laughs> no excitement. No zeal. It's almost as if I just dropped several notches in their ranking. Mm. Hey, Jesus, where are you from? Have I seen your church? Yeah. Oh, yeah, man. Runs about 12, but lately only 11. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad to see I got the same problems Jesus did. <laughs> Building is not without its setback, saints. It's not. 
Building is a tedious, difficult process. If it wasn't, the lost would do it. Or at least the worldly church. See how hard I work not to mention denominational names there? It's good to have a new Bible. I don't have the names written out there that I used to have. I've grown up a little bit in the Lord and realized that that's really wrong. But I can still poke fun at it, right? Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. You know, I really appreciate that. But you have to be there for a while to know the fruit of someone's life. Am I the only one in here that has ever esteemed somebody highly that turned out to be totally unworthy of it? Am I the only one in here that thought somebody was totally unworthy of it? And they proved you wrong? One of the little ladies in this church that I am just deathly proud of, and you can all guess her name as soon as I say that. The day that she met me, and I invited her to a Bible study, she began touting the merits of once saved, always saved, and looked at me and said, you're not those kind of people that speak in other tongues, are you? (laughs) My initial estimation was not so high. She turned out to be a superstar. And God's not done with her yet either. God does that. It takes a little while. Sometimes you have to watch. i tell you what else you get to do. Prune. Sometimes you can look at a tree and go, Ooh, it's not headed the right way. This might be a thorn bush. But I wonder if there's still hope. If we could cut off those thorns and see if it has another chance to bear some grapes. Come on now, am I only preaching to me about that? Am I the only one that your relatives love you one year and not another year? I know I'm not. I've been to some of your family functions. Yeah, this is the way that things go. In fact, you might not be able to tell what kind of tree it really was until its lifespan is over. I mean, you can get a pretty good indication. Or Jesus wouldn't have told us to make the estimation. But in the end, even a tree that produces fantastic grapes, I guess it'd have to be a vine for that. Let's talk about oranges. Aren't you glad I changed that? Yeah, that's horrible. I'm sorry, Cody. We're talking about an orange tree that does great for one season, and you're in the business of producing orange juice. How happy are you about that? You're like, great. One season. Fantastic oranges. Only it had produced the seven seasons it was supposed to. But if you have one that is limping along the first season, but the second season is coming on strong, and the third season even better, how happy are you about that? See, by their fruit you will recognize them. That doesn't mean that in an instant you'll be able to judge a man's life work. There's a guy named Derek Prince that I'll be honest, I have not thought highly of. But one day I realized... I have estimated this entire man's life work based on a single doctrine that he teaches. That wasn't very wise. Then I began to hear other things about him that I thought were admirable. And I saw some good fruit. And if I looked honestly in my own life, I had to admit, there were some branches that needed to get cut off. There were some things in my life that needed to get pruned. And if somebody else was judging my entire life's work 
based on a single week or a single statement, that might not be fair either. Come on, saints, that's perspective. Gambling pays no such attention to those kind of details. It just moves right on to the next table. I'm not gambling with the things of God. My whole life is invested in it. Where is yours? Those of you that are at the beginning of this, those that are in the first few years, I want you to know the biggest temptation that we have is to think that we need to put on our track spikes and outrun everybody. And man, it is great to set a furious pace, but you need to realize something. That pace must increase every lap, not decrease. Increase every lap. This is a marathon. It is not a sprint. So often we're told what Jesus will do for you, what Jesus will do for you, what Jesus will do for you. The real message is not what Jesus will do for you. It's what do you get to do for him. I had a couple in my house the other night, and I love them. I can see faith in their eyes. Amazing, neat things going on in their life. If they make the same investment in the kingdom of God that they made in their previous years in the kingdom of the world, they'll be superstars. But how many people frame it like that? What we tend to do is go, Whoa! I got Jesus! Jesus has got me! I ran a lap! Look! I'm all cleaned up and pretty! And then forget about where we've come from. We no longer feel indebted to the king as if we've just had a life sentence commuted and now like a Gideon I need to work for him every day of our life. In fact, we even turn to selfish things like, I did for you, Lord. Where's the return? Come on, there's not much else that could describe the American church better than that. Come on, Lord, I did for you. Where's my return? This is not the attitude that the Bible teaches. Not at all. In fact, the Bible teaches that no matter what you do for the Lord, you should be able to look at him and say, I'm an unworthy servant who only did his duty. That was even the attitude of Jesus. How much did he do? How do you compare with him? Luke verse 21. It's kind of a personal favorite of mine. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Was that this week? Is that last week? Week before? Is it next week? I mean, come on. When did you do the will of the Father in heaven? And that's an all-encompassing statement. How could you make that assessment until somebody's life is over? Now, we can make an assessment right now that says, are you on the right path or the wrong path? And you might need to turn to get on the right path. But the assessment that I cannot make is, have you completed the will of God in your life? Because your life's not over. You're still here. The person who puts these words into practice, they're like somebody who built a solid rock house that could not be blown down. Every decision was, is this your will or not, Lord? Come on. Can you say that? Did you choose your occupation based on the Lord's desire? Did you choose where you live based on the Lord's desire? Did you choose your spouse based on the Lord's desire? Too late to second guess that one. But if you're on the other side of it, you better think hard. Some people are going to get before him and say, I built, I built, I built. And he's going to laugh and say, I never knew you. Get out of my sight. That looks like a house, but it's not a house fit for me. 
I've calculated things and I've decided it's worth it to do His will in every situation. And I want to be honest, I've gotten it wrong a lot. And thank God for His discipline that moved me right back on course. I started this thing off doing God's will. Doing exactly what He told me to do in a way that He never told me to do it. I went straight to them all. Grabbed everybody I could, one by the chest hair, and told them about Jesus. Yeah, you should have seen him. When I went to propose to my wife, the first thing that I did was steal my neighbor's roses. <laughs> Very first thing. But the Lord is patient, and He disciplines those who love Him. And He taught me over time. In fact, one of the marks of somebody God is investing in is discipline. One of the marks of somebody who is just gambling with God is a lack of discipline. I try him for a while. Oh, well, they never feel the discipline of the Lord because they don't stick in one place long enough to feel it. They run to one table to another, to another, to another. Whatever feels good, whatever looks like it will yield the shortest term results. You won't make me a youth pastor, I bet the church down the road will. Great. What kind of youth pastor will you be? You won't make me a director of whatever, whatever, whatever? Then we'll go do our own thing. We'll get to it, buddy. Because I am only building on the words of Jesus. Amen. And I can tell you the storms come. The wind blows. We have our struggles. Paul said it is through many toils, trials, and tribulations that we enter the kingdom of God. And the funniest thing is, he and Silas actually went back to a church they had already planted to encourage them with those words. <laughs> How about that? You can read it. It's Acts 14. That was Paul's encouragement. Saints, the wind's going to come. Are you invested in him, or are you just gambling? Is this a long-term thing for you, or are you just trying it out for a while? Verse 23, Then I will tell them plainly, Away from me, I never knew you. The judgment came at the end of a life. The point being, you won't know whether you've done God's will until it's all over. But you know whether you're doing it today. Friends, I want to tell you, no single act is God's will. <laughs> At least not all of it. God's much bigger than that. We know this because He prepared good works in advance for you to do, Ephesians said. Meaning more than one. So, you can be like a fruit tree that produced great fruit the first season, but what about season two, three, four, over your lifetime? What is the production? Is it the fruit of the Spirit over your lifetime? You may have produced bad fruit your first seasons in the kingdom. But I tell you, every farmer is happy to see a tree do better this year than he did last year. Where are you at? This crowd may get yet smaller. It won't affect the way that we preach and teach because I'm going to build in the way that Jesus has told me to build. And I don't believe that you can judge a ministry's fruit until the ministry's done. That's right. And Matthew and I are still here. At least for now, right? There's a few people that would like to change that occasionally, but we're still here today. Yeah. Uh, I'm with you, brother. It's like your buddy in high school that says, Hit him, I'm with you. Right behind you. I got your back. About 200 yards. <laughs> Unfortunately, I experienced that too. 
Look at verse 13. I'm sorry that we are going the wrong way in the Bible, but you might say it's kind of Hebrew. We're going from the right to the left. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction. Many enter through it, but small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. A narrow gate. This is a way of saying those who are disciplined are those who are discipled, which is another word. To enter into a very narrow place, it takes a lot of direction. To enter into a broad place, all it takes is an emotional commitment. A fickle commitment. One that's looking for short-term fire insurance. A broad road. Undisciplined, fickle, short-term payout. He said that the narrow road leads to life. This is the calculation for the investment. If I can stay on this path. If I can fight to stay on this path, no matter what happens, if I will stay on this path, in the end, it leads to life. The question is not, where does this road lead? Investments are not that way. This investment will absolutely lead you to life. The only variable, the only risk is, can you stay on that road? And the king has promised to help you. The broad road, however, also has a certain destination. Its adverse odds lead you to destruction. That's not what's advertised. How many of you have driven past a casino sign and it says, Please, come gamble here and you will lose. How many times you bought a lottery ticket? And the advertisement for the lottery ticket says, Millions and millions and millions of losers. One winner. The broad road appeals to everybody by simply saying you can win, but not telling you the adverse odds. The narrow road tells you the calculation that has to be made. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man goes to the Father except through me, and it is going to be hard. But it's worth it. That's why it's easier to sell gambling than it is investments. But I'm not interested in selling either. I was taught at a bank in Louisiana that fear and greed motivate all people's investment strategies. And they learn to manipulate that. And I watch people do it. Anybody skilled in articulation? I don't mean the movement of their arms. I mean their verbal prowess. Learn to manipulate people in that regard. I became quickly uncomfortable with it and looked for another profession. You might say I jumped out of the frying pan and into the fire because I went into the car business. <laughs> Apparently the Lord was teaching me something. It was something I was reminded of the other night when a man from Argentina walked across the room and whispered in my ear, do not invest in hearts that are unworthy. What a thing to prophesy to a pastor. Especially a pastor you've never, I guess he's been to our church once. It's not like we talk every day must be that the Lord wants me to get that. It is not our job to sell anyone's saints. It's our job to point to the road, to tell people the cost, to encourage them that it can be done, but stop short of anything else. You understand? So take your assessment. Figure out where you're at. It's one other thing that I want to get to, and then we're going to move on to edifi- edification. Matthew 7, 7 through 12. 
I had intended to back up this way all the way through the beginning of the Beatitudes, but I think you can tell the day would not be long enough to do that. So Matthew 7, 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Ask and it will be given to you. Since your success depends upon trust. Trust in Yahweh God. It does not depend upon the failure of others. Therefore, it is not necessary to point out the times that Cassidy tried and failed. That won't make you look any better than you do today. It's not necessary to point to the times that Eric tried and failed. That will not make you any more successful in the kingdom. Now, at a poker table, it might do good to point out the time that so-and-so bluffed and didn't make it. It might do you good to point out the time that so-and-so bet on the flop and lost. Gambling depends upon the failure of others. The kingdom just depends upon trust. In fact, the more your brothers succeed, the more you succeed. Ask and it will be given. Listen to the conclusion of this. Which of you, if he has a son, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give you good gifts? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Wouldn't you think that if the subject at hand is asking, you'll receive, but it's about blessing you? He's not addressing you. He's not addressing your blessing. Listen to the summation of his discussion. Whatever you need, the Father will give you. So don't you hesitate to do to other people what you would want done for you. Get that. Saints, how many times will you hear some slick-suited preacher talking about Mercedes and silver suits and jets flying around the world? And that's not the way that's quoted. The point is, whatever you need, the Father will give you, so don't hesitate to invest in other people. One of the biggest differences between gambling and investment is one wants everybody else to fail so that you can succeed. The other wants everybody to succeed so you can all enjoy success. Do you know what a mutual fund is? You're all mutually invested. If your buddy on your left and right lose, guess what happens to you? But if they are fat and happy, guess what's going on for you? The kingdom is more like an investment than a gamble. But the church treats it like a gamble. We must be different. The things that characterize gambling are emotionally driven. A sense of urgency that makes you make stupid decisions. Short-term payout. A fickle nature. No production of anything involved. Seriously adverse odds characterized by chance. Something that focuses on the failure of others. But the kingdom, the kingdom, is driven by truth. It has a long-term payout for those that are committed. Production of something. A house worthy of God's dwelling is involved. There are favorable and calculable odds because he who told us is worthy. It's characterized by a life of discipline. And it is completely focused on the success of others. I could go on like this forever. We could talk about peacemakers. We could talk about the merciful, full of mercy. We could talk about the pure heart. Boy, they're not handed out that way. 
These are all based on long-term disciplined commitments to producing the fruit of righteousness that invests in others and builds the house or the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is a lifetime of investment. Let me ask you. You could contribute to a 401k. But you'd a whole lot rather contribute to one that your employer matches funds, wouldn't you? What did the king do for you? I would say he's matched more than 10%. There are almost no employers left in the world that will even give you five, much less ten. Jesus gave you everything. He said, the kingdom is yours. My Father will confer upon you a kingdom. He said, even as he conferred one upon me. You can read about it in Luke. Let's focus on the idea of investment. And the fact that it leaves something worthwhile. Gambling destroys investment, leaves something worth, worthwhile. There should be a legacy involved in an investment. In gambling, the legacy is destruction. In investment, the legacy is successful companies, successful ventures, whatever they are, successful. That's the goal of an investment. The goal of gambling is simply to destroy and take from you. This house on a rock... I want to talk to you about how we build a house on a rock. Go with me to 1 Corinthians 8. Look at verse 2. End of verse 1. Let's just read verse 1. It won't hurt at all. Now about food sacrificed to idols... We know that we all possess knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Knowledge puffs up, love builds up. (coughs) Knowledge will build you an inflatable house. Knowledge will cause the world to look at you immediately and go, Wow, what a mansion! It doesn't examine whether or not it's on sand. It doesn't examine whether or not it has been wind-rated. Whether or not it is flood insured, all it is is a facade. But love takes stone upon stone, builds upon rock until there is something there worth standing. It's not that knowledge is bad. It's that knowledge alone, knowing what the Sermon on the Mount says, gives you the ability to regurgitate it. And what happens is somebody that doesn't know you, somebody that hasn't spent enough time examining the fruit of your life, somebody that you're not intimately acquainted with, goes, oh man, that guy, he's a Christian. Why? Why? You never saw them outside of a one-moment scripture regurgitation. But the knowledge showed a big inflatable house. By the way, how do you know whether a house is built on the sand or built upon rock? During storms. They all look the same from the outside. Maturity in Christ is not how your house looks upon the outside. It's what happens to it when it is beat upon. When it is flooded. When it is buffeted by rain. In the right conditions, any tree bears fruit. But it takes a special tree to bear fruit in hostile conditions. Friends, you were put behind enemy lines. This whole world was given to a false prince. And we were told to take it back. 
The conditions are not favorable. But the one who put us here, his directions are trustworthy and they're true. Knowledge puffs up, love builds up. This word is oikotonome. It doesn't just mean builds up. I mean, builds up is a great way to say it. Some people would say edify. Uh, Some people might just limit it to encouragement. But it literally means when you build a building and you start down here and you lay a foundation, that's just a foundation. But when you put something on top of that, you're oikotonome. And then when you put something else on top of that, you're oikotonome. Stone stacked upon stone is oikotonome. This is the kind of thing that love does. It doesn't leave well enough alone. It doesn't just look at a house and say, as good as it is. It is always working to make it better than it was when you found it. Knowledge simply impresses momentarily. Love will do whatever it takes for a house to be better tomorrow than it was today. Whatever it takes. Sometimes you have to chisel out a previous brick. In building the temple that God dwells in, Jesus has knocked down the previous structure several times. It doesn't mean that they weren't of God. It meant it was just necessary to rebuild. You understand? When he said, do you see these buildings? It's another tense of the word oikotonome. When he says, not one stone will be left upon another, it's another tense of oikotonome. Love does whatever it takes to be constructive in someone's life. And part of being constructive means you don't allow things to simply be like they are. You don't leave a facade standing. You knock them down. Knock them down in your life. You knock them down in other people's lives so that it can be built properly. Look at 1 Thessalonians 5. I've got two scriptures left for you. Is that okay? Mm-hmm. Thessalonians 5, we're going to start in verse 11. Therefore encourage one another, and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. Isn't it interesting that the church that received the most direct scripture reference about the end times, and let me tell you right now, the world is not going to end in 2012. I don't care what the movie said, it's not happening. (laughs) We need a temple. We need an antichrist. We need a church that is worth something. Yeah. And not just in foreign nations. We'll teach on that another day. This church that received the most direction about the end times. In two letters, he specifically mentions the coming of the Lord. It even gives order of events. He says, therefore, encourage one another and build each other up. Just as, in fact, you are doing They were doing whatever it took to encourage one another. They were doing whatever it took to stack truth upon truth, right brick upon right brick, so that they could all rise to become something more than they were. If you're driving down this road and there's a construction site, how do you know what kind of building it's going to be? Well, Sometimes there's a sign out there that says, you know, future home of Compass Bank, whatever it is. But you wouldn't know that until well, the structure begins to get close to the place where it's finished. And you can go to preach on the bank. That looks like a grocery store. 
looks like a Popeye's chicken, right? Because I looked out in the worship service and man, there was only a handful. the same way. They have to get to a certain point in the building process till the builder's design becomes evident. Maybe but what happens so often is people lay a couple bricks, declare themselves standing. People should say that. And they, they ask you, does it really do good to draw it? And they don't allow other people to truly love them. Not they would rather before. keep all before. rebuke hidden. I heard about a worldwide revival that drew thousands and thousands of people. And the church decided to build. Right? I mean, a church of 2,500 was suddenly drawing crowds over 50,000. So they decided to build. I mean, decided to build. Amen? They built another sanctuary for 2,500 people. It was just prettier than the one before. What? What? What would be the point? If everybody is coming, but nobody is leaving better than they were. If nobody is growing and progressing, what is the point? Well, maybe it's just to raise finances. Maybe it's so that you can buy those suits, air those television commercials. At the end, I'm convinced there will be lots of people that look powerful today that are weaklings in his eyes. And there are others that the world would consider weaklings that will be powerful in his eyes. I have made an investment in the kingdom. To me, it is not a gamble. I hope you'll join me in that. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. Now we ask you, brothers, to respect those who work hard among you and who are over you in the Lord. Take a black highlighter to that. We're all democracy here. There is no hierarchy. Your word is better than mine. Why? Because you're an American. I hear it all of the time. We're all good as long as we agree. As soon as we disagree, oh, that's not building me up. That's why God made you the builder or me the builder. You know, I can tell you, building contractors have the worst reputation in the world. Anybody in here ever dealt with one? Yes. They are called mean. They're called savage. They're called everything else. Because they're the pastors of their world. Their job is to complete something on schedule. Their job is to organize all of the laborers so that the house rises to become what it is. And you know who is the most resistant to that? The people that it's being done for. Because it's uncomfortable. We don't like the timetable. We don't like the schedule. We don't like the cost. I'm not defending building contractors in here today. I'm just telling you it's in our nature. Some of the young people in our church have a saying. And it's cute. I mean, they mean it cute. So don't ridicule them for it. Don't tell me what to do. They have a whole little expression worked out about it. The problem is, is it has defined generations. Don't tell me what to do. Those who hear these words of mine and put them into practice. What do you mean, don't tell me what to do? We've never needed any time worse in our lives for somebody to tell us what to do. A beautiful thing that somebody told me at the baptismal the other day. Eric, I've wandered for so long, I just needed to know what to do. Amen. Amen. Now we ask you, brothers, to respect those who work hard among you and who are over you in the Lord and who admonish you. <laughs> respect those who admonish you. Yeah, go get a dictionary look up that word. Hold them in the highest regard in love. I'm curious. We've well established that it's my job to love you, to edify you, to leave you better than you were before. What is your responsibility towards me? 
think it's a reciprocal relationship. Hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers, warn those who are idle. Encourage the timid. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always try to be kind to each other and to everyone else. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Tell me, who enters the kingdom? Those who do the will of my Father in heaven. You just got a great big dose of it. Be joyful always. Pray continually. For this is God's will for you. Next time somebody looks at you and says, Hey brother, shrug it off. Put a smile on the face. Be excited. They're not just telling you what would make them more comfortable. They're helping you become more than you are today. They're helping you get in the will of God. No, God wants me this way. He wants that as much as you want an ulcer. Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. If you can't treat a prophecy with contempt, how well do you think you can treat a scripture with contempt? Test everything. Hold on to the good. Avoid every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. In other words, may he set you apart, spirit, soul, body. Every part of your life may set you apart, make you that house that cannot be destroyed. You ready for your last scripture? Uh, you're going to be in Second Peter. No, you're going to be in First Peter, the second chapter. Amen. Girls fast. I struggle sometimes with whether to tell you all things or not. Wednesday night, I uh, let some vision slip that uh, that Jesus showed me that I've had. I want you to understand there's a fine line for us that we're trying to figure out between letting you experience the details of our lives for your edification and not commending ourselves to you. I want to tell you it takes a very special calling in somebody's life to continually pour out into something that you see no visible signs of success and worse than that, they don't appreciate it. And that is the kingdom. That is the majority of the people that will ever walk through this door. It's the remnant, the special group, that you get to see some signs of growth. That you get to see fruit. That you get to see even a level of appreciation. Paul said, one plants, one waters, God gets the increase. It's never guaranteed to any of us that we see the fruit of our efforts. But I know exactly what it is like to give up football games for my kids, date nights with my wife, for the benefit of people studying, praying, laboring in the Lord, counseling. And then those people do not respond. I could feel bad for myself, except that the Savior of the world gave his very life and an even greater number of people do not respond. Saints, I do not want to be in that number. I want to get it right. I mean, I want to get it right. And any preacher in his right mind would look at this group and say, Hey, man, they're sold out. Leave well enough alone. Move on. I can't. I can't. It's not in me. It's not what he called me to. 
I encourage you to be of like mind. Don't settle for what you have now. Fight for more. Don't you let the devil back you into a situation where you become complacent. I believe that every man, woman, and child in this building is capable of seeing someone born again before the year's out. I believe that. I think that's a goal to pray for. More than your new dishwasher, your new house, your new whatever. That is a goal to pray for. I believe that every man, woman, and child in this building is capable of sharing your experience with other people for discipling them. And when it's above your head, bring them to those that have discipled you. And if you've never been discipled, get right. Nobody falls out of the sky mature. Lay down your pride and be discipled. We're building a house here. Look how Peter says it. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies. He's telling that to fully grown adults. Crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. You may be edified. You may stack brick upon brick upon brick. Know that you have, now that you have tasted, that the Lord is good. As you come to Him, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God, and precious to Him. The first stone that was ever laid for the purpose of edification was the life of Jesus. He is the foundation. He is the cornerstone. When you wanted to know, what do I build upon? What is the rock that I build my life on? It is a like attitude of Jesus. Not some church's doctrine. Not some... You closed my Bible? (laughs) Thank you. You are not building upon the good works of some human being. He says, as you come to Him, the living stone rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to Him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. Before we get to why... We are in the process of building upon something that Jesus started. His life of obedience was meant to inspire a life of obedience in you. His sacrifice was meant to pave a way for you to be different tomorrow than you were today. He is the first foundational stone. But you know what? Each one of your lives forms a stone that is being stacked on His. And when enough of God's people are obedient, it says, to be a holy priesthood. Offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. Abel's life is supposed to stack on Fred's life, who is stacked upon a predecessor's life, and a predecessor, and a predecessor, all the way back to the foundation the apostles laid, and the great high apostle before that, Jesus. And this rises to become a building that no storm can blow away. That's the point. A church is not an institution. A church is not a group of like-minded people. You can have a political party that's that. A church is not a marketing campaign to draw big crowds. A church is loving, edifying, stacking one life upon another until the whole community rises to become more than it is today. Listen to how he says it. See, I lay a stone in Zion. It started in Jerusalem. A chosen and precious cornerstone. God didn't just pick any life. He picked the most precious, special life he could find. His own. And the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. 
Your life has to be stacked on His. How do you know if it is? Is your whole life defined by your trust in Him? Evidence by putting these words of His into practice. Now to you, now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become a capstone. If you're invested in Him, that means you're doing what He said, and it's a long-term commitment. If you simply gambled with Him, the very same foundational stone is going to be a stone that falls upon your head. The same word that encouraged you at some point in your life and said, you can be saved, will fall upon your head and say, you didn't get saved. I never knew you. Get out of my sight. That is an amazing thing, huh? The thing that builds will also destroy Because it's necessary for the kingdom of God to be established to displace another kingdom. And you get to choose every day with your obedience which kingdom you want to live in. A stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. To some, Jesus' life is precious. To others, it only points out failure. It's only a sad thing. They minimize it any way they can. They say, he was just a prophet. He was one life among many. Really? And why do we number our days by his birth? They stumble because they disobey the message. There is only one way for a house to fall. That's disobedience to the message. There is also only one way for a house to stand. Obedience to the message. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. The narrow road is at least well lit, friends. It's lit with His presence. It's lit by the path of the men that have walked before us. You can go wander your own way. A way you've never been, but the masses are going. And the end is destruction. The narrow way, only a few who find it. But at least you're in the company of the King of Kings who walked it before you did. His very life has illuminated that path for you. Lord, what do I do in this situation? What has He done in a situation just like it? Do likewise. Put His words into practice. You will never go wrong. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Friends, if God's been better to you than you've been to Him, then do something to show Him. Do something in every area of your life to show it. Do something in your finances. Do something in your relationships. Do something in your workplaces. Do something among your relatives. Do something among your neighbors. Pick every discernible area of your life and do something. Putting His words into practice and you will never go wrong. It's not anyone's place, not on your left, not on your right, not mine, to say what you did was not enough. But it is definitely our place to say, if you haven't done anything, you're certainly in jeopardy. Nobody knows whether the widow's might was all she had or not, except the word tells us in her case it was. We're not able to judge David's effort in his workplace. Is it enough or not? But what we can tell him is he better be making an effort because it belongs to God. Amen? Amen. You want to become more than you are today? Yes. Stand, let's worship together. That's a pretty fine Bible. I could preach from that.
yourselves with people, some of whom you like and some of whom you don't like. You're going to eat food, some of which you like and some of which you don't like. And we're going to love. And we're going to shine the light of the Lord. And wherever possible, we're not going to shine it in their eyes. Might not be able to be avoided. But you be what God called you to be. And you know what? They'll be drawn to it like moths to a flame. The people in my family that are the worst off love me the most. They really do. They don't love me enough to come here. But they'll call me anytime there's a problem. I've got an old alcoholic aunt that calls me every time she gets seriously wasted. It's because in her most desperate hours, she's seen something. She's seen something. I still have hope for her. Amen. Let's ask that God anoint us as a group. Did he anoint us to reach those people around those tables? Sorry, Brad, you can talk to people around you. There you go. Patricia hadn't bitten anybody this year. <laughs> Last year, but not this year. We'll ask that God anoint that. We'll close our service, and here's the thing. I hope to see you Thursday. If I don't, we'll see each other Sunday. Bring somebody with you. We're about to go into December. Amen? Amen. Mighty God, I am so proud of your family. Lord, you're not ashamed to call them brothers. Your mighty arm has worked salvation for them. I thank you, Lord. Let them all be found in your will all the days of their life. As they find themselves sitting at relatives' tables, let them speak of your glories and not be pulled into the other's problems. Lord, I ask that edifying words that would cause others to become more than they are today would flow from the mouths of the saints here. Lord, let this salvation day, this Thanksgiving day, overflow to everyone else. We thank you, Lord. We thank you for your discipline, your encouragement, your pruning, Lord God, and your fertilizing. Lord, whatever it takes, we want to grow in you. We thank you for this church, this group of believers. In the name of Jesus, we pray for their empowerment. Amen. Amen. Come on, y'all. Now eat lots of turkey and eat lots of the Lord.